All right, let's get. Um, so without, I guess we'll, we'll we'll just jump right into it then. Uh, this is Colin Shots. I'm Seth Partnow. Um, took uh, longer to get going here than the Knicks <laughs> offense does in the half court. Uh, joined today by Schwittypoo of the uh, of the Strickland, uh, who has uh, kindly had me on his podcast a number of times to yell at me. Uh, so I invited him on uh, this podcast to yell at me. Uh, how you doing today, sir? Uh, you know, pretty good. Uh, I love Monday mornings, don't you? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's, it's great. It's, I'm, I'm, I, we're not busy at all at the start of a new week, but here we are. Um, so basically, I I I I, I jokingly said this, but actually no, I I uh, I, I did want to have you on to kind of uh, both give you and any of your followers who kind of want to come on and berate me a chance to do so about what I've been missing. So, um, you know, in the context of what has been a disappointing next season. Um, Tell me why I'm wrong to not think R.J. Barrett isn't the second coming. <laughs> um, look, I think I think the R.J. Barrett question or whatever it is, uh, look, it's there's reasons to be skeptical. But I would say, like, when you watch the next offense, I mean, you've just mentioned it, but it's like <laughs> it's it's very very premeditated. Everything there's no flow. There's no quick actions um you know you're talking about in the fourth quarter you literally watch it you can you can hear tibbs calling out plays actively slowing down the team to get into these very robotic and 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 really telegraphed uh half court sets i mean yesterday uh against the nets he actually ran this really good play uh for rj to get downhill and he had a nice finish over drummond um and then they just ran the same thing two more times and it was like there was nothing happening off ball. There was no decoy action. There was nothing to kind of like, there's no attempt at leveraging, okay, this worked. So now how can we use that to open up something else? It's all very, very much like one note. And I think, you know, in addition to that, you also have a scenario where the Knicks never play five out. They never play in a situation where the paint is open. Um, You know, uh, Fred Katz in his article last week in the athletic, he mentioned how, Mitchell Robinson, I think his shot distance, his average shot distance, is half of Rudy Gobert's. And Rudy Gobert does not have an incredible range. So it's not like Rudy Gobert is stretching the floor. But it it just shows you kind of the limitations of somebody like Mitchell Robinson and just how much that clogs the paint. Uh, And if you just watch the Knicks offense, you see it all the time. And then on top of that, you have weird stuff going on where, like, you watched the third quarter against the Nets yesterday. RJ literally had one shot. The entire third quarter. Um, I couldn't tell you why. Um, I know that he didn't have the most efficient scoring game yesterday, but it's very odd to not have him involved in the offense at all and instead be feeding Alec Burks and Evan Fournier a bunch of creation touches. Um, but this happens all the time where it's like there's – and it's not just for RJ. Like there's just quarters at a time where guys other than basically Julius, guys just get lost. And, and it's because there's no flow to the action. There's no – it's it's all very much like segmented and and very scripted. So there's just not a lot of great team sequences and sharing the ball and everybody gets touches and uh, you know whatever your reservations are about RJ, I don't think those are necessarily unfounded. But I also think if you're not watching every Knicks game, it's really hard to like appreciate just kind of what the context of his entire being is currently and offensively, anyways. 
Sure. Now, to the and to the point of, of of sort of stagnation, there was one point. I don't remember if it was late third or early fourth quarter where their lineup was something like Deuce McBride, Manuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, and Jericho Sims, and that's as and I tweeted about this. That's as mobile a lineup as the Knicks can reasonably put on the floor right now, and yeah. their offense was one guy dribbling and four guys standing for the entire time that like. The, that that group was in, and I think that to to your point, like even when there's a lineup that that you know could could benefit from some flow, some continuity, and really every all of their lineups could, but like that lineup especially where you have five guys who can kind of move, that there just isn't that. So that's I mean that is a fair point about the context being tough. That said, um, this is and this is my point is that that often is that for guys who are going to be that sort of top echelon creative score even in bad context they manage to be reasonably efficient scores and that's so that's where I mean, that, that, that's point one i'll make in, in in you know my defense point two is and this is this is a taste thing as much much as anything else if you if one was to look at my player my taxonomy of player tiers and one was to pick out a player type that i am lower on than consensus across the board. It is the marginally efficient, high usage, uh, top offensive option on a bad offensive, on a mediocre to bad offensive team. Like those are, those are players across the board that I am like, yeah, he's fine on. Um, so that, so that, that like, you know, and, and, and I think that, that sort of both of those things are probably why, in in the case specifically of R.J. Barrett, he probably he ticks those boxes of 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 sort of yeah that's fine those are those are numbers but that's fine. That, yeah, that's I think I think I think one of the things too with R.J. is like so I think there's a what he is right now like I don't think right now he is a star offensive talent like he's not he's not performing at that level right now so I I don't think it's like like I'm not sitting here telling you that. Oh my God! How can you not think he's like an all-star right this minute? Um, but I think what for me anyway, when I'm watching him, I'm like, okay. I mean, yesterday is an, an example of this where he was one aside from three, um, and he was eight and twenty-one from the field. So did not have a good shooting game, obviously overall. Um, what is that? That's seven of seven of sixteen, 16 two. from yeah. two. Um, and and I think like one of the things though is he ended up with twenty-five points. And it was because he actually shot well from the free throw line. So, like, the two things for me with too, him. Too well, in fact. But that's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, one, one of the things for me with him when I'm watching him is, okay, so you are, you're getting to the line a bunch, which is an awesome thing. That is, like, probably one of the oh, best. definitely. Things you can like, yeah. like, if, and I've, and I think we've talked about this before. Like, I think that is, for a guy who's, uh, who has, you know, been a, so so efficiency on creating his own shot if he can supplement that by getting to the line a bunch that's the kind of thing where if he becomes an 8 10 12 free throw game guy like that's a that is a big step forward in becoming that sort of you know that that more efficient player and and you know for for and for people who are you know to from a stat standpoint like basketball reference has has in the last couple of years introduced a, a, a you know, a chart on the player pages that is adjusted shooting, which basically lets you look at how efficient a player is relative to league average. And like, you know, um, like right now are like, this, you know, yes, he has high usage, but 
his efficiency this year is 94% of the league average. You know, if, if 100 is average, 90, he's, he's, you know, 6%, 6% below league average, not 6 percentage point. Like he's not, he's, he's not like, he doesn't have like a 48 two shooting. <laughs> is not what I'm saying, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so that's, and that's, so that's what, I, that's what I'm, what, you know, that's, that that is a very quick and dirty way of saying yeah he's efficient but blah blah blah. But if he gets to if he starts to get to the point where he gets to the line a bunch, then he starts to creep up to league average, and then you do that, and maybe the shot diet improves a little bit, and the context improves a little bit. Then all of a sudden, if he's a you know a high twenties usage guy with like a one hundred two adjusted true shooting, then all of a sudden, all right, now we're talking about something different. So I do think. Your your point about his about him using kind of the fact that he's enormous uh, to, <laughs> to get to the front of the rim and get fouled um, that's that is the kind of of step forward that I would be looking for for him in terms of, of yeah. like up, upgrading right. my assessment of him. Yeah, so that's like that's like one big piece, and obviously he's got to shoot better from the line. So that's you know that's on him and. You know, getting there is half the battle. You got to start converting those chances at a better rate, which he has been recently. But we'll you know, see. Even this is a funny thing about free throw shooting is you don't like getting to the line. Even if you shoot sixty percent from the line, getting to the line a lot is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of course. And it helps so, the team too, right? So it's yeah. like it's a, it's a huge benefit. And then I, and then the other two things though for him, and like this is where I think lack of flow and staying engaged like throughout and just having an offense where guys are touching the ball frequently. And again, he had one shot in the third quarter. And you could tell, like, it was his normal rotation, so he comes back in to start the fourth quarter with the bench unit. And he comes in, and as soon as he gets the ball, it's like, I think he had three straight possessions, and it was just like, you knew every single time he got the ball, there was no there was no pass happening. Because it was like his time to get his shots up, and he was going to get his shots up. And I think, like, look, that's something he has to overcome, regardless of, like, being ignored for a quarter. Like, you just have to make better decisions. But I think that plays into it at times. Um, and then, you know, like it's, it's also a matter of under, like he's got to develop confidence in his jumper to the point where, you know, especially late in games, it's hard to get to the rim. Teams are like, not going to let you just get in there easily. Um, they're going to camp out and that's exacerbated obviously with the next spacing issues as we've discussed. Um, so you've got to have trust in that jumper and that's definitely not there for him yet. And, And he's openly talked about like that being kind of the thing he needs to work on um, this off season moving forward to develop. So like, we'll see where he goes from there, but that's obviously like a very major frontier for him to, to, to cross. Um, and then, you know, like just again, like you're getting, he's getting into the paint so often, like his handle is a lot better this year. It's not like he's, I mean, I'm not exactly calling him Allen Iverson, but um, his handle is a lot better now. And he, it's, it's not like flashy, but it's functional. It's solid. Guys don't strip him very often, partially because he's just built like a, a bull. Um, but like he's drawing attention when he gets in the paint. And you can see this in the Memphis game on Friday where he had a play late in the game. He gets in the paint and Jaron Jackson Jr. It's like his man, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark are like dropping off their man to help on him in the paint. And he has an easy kick out to quickly for a three, like out at the top of the key, just a wide open three. Um and he, I don't know if he didn't see it or whatever, but like he didn't make the pass. He ended up doing this pump fake and then going up with it. And Jaron Jackson just sent that, you know, fucking fifty feet away. <laughs> um, but like, how, by the way, so how, how good was Jaron Jackson in the fourth quarter of that game? He was very good. Um, I oh, do. You're, think are you, that, well, you're gonna okay, yeah. 
I, I did. I did think it was interesting that that he was very able to be very physical. Um, but no, he played. He, he's great. I mean, I think I've argued to before that I think that he's actually like at least in the regular season, he's their most valuable player. Um, I know that's a hot take for a lot of people, but I, I just think what he does. Take. Yeah, I just think what he does defensively and kind of his flexibility to play in different lineups gives them so much versatility that I don't think they have any, from anybody else in that front court, especially. Um, so I, I just, I'm just like really impressed with him, but, um, you know, like that's just an example. I think that's just a minor example of things that you see pretty routinely where it's like, Hey man, you're getting into the paint all the time. That's awesome. You're getting into the foul line all the time. That's also awesome. But like, you also just need to maximize the opportunities and, and create not just for yourself, but for others. And like, look, that's part of just development. Like he needs those reps, you know, like he needs more and more reps and you have to live with these games where he doesn't make the best decisions and it will cost you games. You are going to lose some, but like the, the, the hope isn't like, Oh, he's not, he's not this yet. So that's like whatever. I think what it is for Knicks fans is like, you see those games now where it does come together and you're like, but like that, that's a stop. That looks like a star. And I think for the first two years, anytime he had one of these big scoring games, it was usually because he, or a really good offensive game. It was usually just because he had a hot three point shooting stretch. Um, whereas now you're starting to see like games where he'll get you 30 plus and he's not even shooting that much from three, or he's not even shooting particularly efficiently from three. Um, and, and I think that's, that's where for Knicks fans, at least I watch him and I'm like, okay, like I, I'm, starting to believe I'm starting to believe at a higher level than I believed previously. But like, you know, obviously as a fan, I'm going to believe in that, but you know, if other, I get why non Knicks fans that aren't watching living and dying with like every, you know, with every time tips is screaming ice. Um, I understand why they're a little more skeptical. Well, but like everyone yeah. watching is dying every time. Tibbs. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I just, I just watch him and I think like there's, there's been clear signs of progress for me in areas that I thought he needed to show improvement in this year. Um, and I think for like, again, Chris personally, like the ability to have big scoring games, even efficient scoring games um, without hot three point shooting is a really big sign of progress. No, that's all fair. It's, you know, it's, and, and, you know, that's, I, I've, this is sort of the, the, this is like, if you're trying to win a like late round playoff game today versus what you'll do in four years, what, right, what, right. what, like what he could be in four years, those are different questions. And, and sort of, this is, that's sort of, you know, it's, it's funny because it's always been, for some reason, the one guy that got picked out was Alex Caruso. And that was like among the, like, to me, the less controversial of the players that I identified as like more helpful today. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it, it, you know, I mean, like, I think you even said like, it wasn't like the argument wasn't who would like, who's a better asset or who yeah, would you who rather bet on for the next five years or whatever. Yeah. Like I could, I, frankly, I could make an argument that if I was going into like a second round playoff game today, like, uh, and I needed someone to give me minutes and this is going to sound crazy, but like Deuce McBride, <laughs> like just drop him in, go guard that guy for four minutes. Like that's a, that, that's a, a more straightforward, positive contribution at that level right now. And that's, you know, obviously he's not a better player right now, but in terms of, of, you know, doing a thing 
at a high enough level, like that one spe- specific skill, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like effectiveness adjusted for role. So like yeah. you, there's less expectation, less demand, I guess, in that role, but like he can do it. I, I mean, yeah, of course, like the, the, the threshold for deuce to be, you know, stand in the corner and play good defense is lower than it is for RJ to be like, okay, just be an offensive hub now. That's it. Just, just go do that. It's like so. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, and it's, it's always like, it's, like, it's, it's always impossible to know because you know, like last year we saw RJ in a different role, and now we're seeing him getting more on ball reps. So it's like, you know, these things are always evolving, and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I mean, with with RJ, it's just like I think, and I, the other thing I will say is this is like. I mean, you've talked about this a lot. You've tweeted about this a lot with just like Julius this year where his processing is, let's just say, interesting. Um, and I think what the major thing that I notice um, between him and RJ is like when RJ has his – when he's really going, when he's rolling, the processing and kind of like the speed at which he plays at, and I just feel a lot more confident that he's not going to do something inherently stupid. Whereas Julius is like, I, it's like rolling dice. You have no idea. Like yesterday he hit this incredible three, uh, off an inbounds pass, just like a broken play. Next time down, quickly sets him up for a wide open three. And instead of taking it, he's just like, you know what? I'm going to pump fake and then I'm going to drive. I'm going to ignore RJ wide open in the corner. And I'm going to throw up this ridiculous 15 foot scoop layup thing that doesn't hit rim and we lose possession. Like, I have no idea what to do with a guy like that because then you have like you go you very go from that and then you have like a second half in Sacramento where he looks like the best player in the NBA and you're like well okay like I I don't know what to do with you and and I think like with RJ there's just a little bit more stability um, and the decision making and stuff like that you just feel a lot more confident um, about like the process and I I think that juxtaposition also probably plays into some of the evaluation too. No, that's fair. And the the funniest the, the funny thing with Randall is, and we'll 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 get off RJ and like move to broader Knicks things. I don't know why, as as kind of painful as they are to watch this year, the Knicks still are very interesting to me this year. But that's, um, and that 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 may just be because I I you know every time I try to get out, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in, and by <laughs> they I mean your minions who who who. Uh, um, but no, but there's like there's there's like a week where Julius Randle was playing with force and with quickness and he looked fantastic. And then it just went away. Went, well, even against Memphis, like Memphis, he played like great. I thought for the first three quarters, then in the fourth quarter, he's like, if, you know, he just gets into this mode where he's, you know, he's trying to be Kobe. And it's like, just why don't you just be big and like strong and athletic and, and bull your, like, just, I will, I would rather he drive and commit like three charges then have these plays where he's posting up Goran Dragic and trying to like bump him off to create space for a mid-range shot. And it's just like, come on, man. Just like, I, I don't, no one wants to see this and, and you're not even that good at it. So like, just don't like, it, it's about playing to your strengths. Um, and, and, you know, look like you obviously as a high usage scorer, I do think like it's imperative to some degree that you have a variety for your offense. So I'm not saying like he needs to, only like take shots at the rim or in the paint and that's it. But like, it's just the, like you said, like even getting into a mid range shot, you can do that with force. You can do that with purpose. You can do that with speed instead of being so plodding and kind of like 
just kind of giving away what your intention is entirely. Um, and yeah, like it, it's, it's so weird with Julius because it's not even game to game. It's like quarter to quarter, possession to possession. And you just have no idea what you're going to get. But like, it's, it's equally frustrating because when he does show you those flashes, you're like, I'm not ready to give up on him. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure. Like, I know no, I, last year. I, I don't think, I, I, I don't think you should. Like, I think yeah. he's, I think for as much as, oh man, we, that, that contract is an albatross already. It's just like, no, he's very salvageable. It's like, you know, basically like I've, he, you know, my diagnosis, and this is, you know, putting psychoanalysis hat on is like, he thrives so much on making tough shots last year that he started <laughs> this year taking tough shots and they didn't go in as well. And because of all the stuff that you've talked about already with the, the miasma that is the Knicks half court offense, he, anything easy. And so there's nothing, there's no sort of, all right, I'm going now. I can, I can, some, I, I know I can get to that and get something good a lot of the time. There's none of that getting going. And that's, I think, where a lot of the, you know, all right, I need to, I need to make a perfect play this time to get a great shot and then I'll make a great shot and then I'll be going. And it's just like, you know, you're, you're by gripping the club harder does not help you hit the ball farther. Is is and and, and yeah. he is for much of the season he has been he has been gripping tight. Yeah, and I, I think like there's if there's one guy who just needs I, I would love if the Knicks just shut him down or whenever the offseason like there's nobody that needs to not be playing basketball anymore for the rest of the year more than him on this team because. He's just like you can tell he's frustrated and he's taking his anger out constantly on everybody and everything else around him. It seeps into like he had multiple plays yesterday where, you know, somebody else on the team commits a turnover and he's just annoyed and just stands there and watches like Brooklyn run it down the run it down our throat the other way. And it's like, yeah, look, obviously that happens to everybody at some point. It's not like that's unique to Julius, but it gets exacerbated when you're not hitting those tough shots and when things aren't going so smoothly and you're not winning games. And it's like, can he snap himself out of that? I don't know. Not this year. I don't think he's going to do it this year. I mean, because he hasn't, you know, we're 68 games in and we're still sitting here like, what the hell is Julius Randle? So it's not going to happen for him this year. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think like we talked about this on our pod that dropped today, but is Julius like? Should the Knicks be desperate to get off Julius Randle just to get get off the contract? No, I don't think they should. Um, at the same time, I don't think that they should be operating like, you know, oh my God, we have to make sure that we make this work around Julius. Like, I think if teams are interested in him, you listen. If you can get a valuable offer, I have no problem moving him. But I don't. I don't think you need to be acting in desperation um, because, like, even amid this garbage season, it's like there's still something there um that's that's better than what we've seen on aggregate so far this year and it's like you know look the nba is these guys are stocks like the way the way they the value moves so it's like if julius puts together two months that are really good to start next year all of a sudden you're talking about an entirely different prospect of of what it what you're going to get in moving him what you expect what you want to trade him for if you want to trade him um and I, yeah like you know I, I just don't think that they're in a position where they need to feel like we have to move Julius. Um, if there's a good offer, then do it. But, you know, don't, don't just move him just to, to move him and get, get off him. I, I don't, I think that would be really bad management. And I just think it would be kind of pointless to be honest. So 
that's there's 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 a there's a ham headed segue, but I'm gonna make it anyway. Um, you know, speaking of speaking of moves that that they might have to make, um, who's coaching the next start of next season? Uh, Johnny Bryan, head coach Johnny Bryan next year. I I do think that's that's going to end up being the move. Um, uh, look, I, I think Tibbs. I think they've let him. I think they're going to let him coach out the year for sure. Uh, I, mean, I don't. There's no point. There's no point doing anything else at this point. Right. Right. There's no point in changing it right now. Um, I do think like. You know, uh, was he a bad hire? I, I no. don't know. Like, I don't think he was at all. I think he was a solid hire. I think they, I think they reached competency a year faster than they expected, and that's pushed a lot of issues that were inevitable with Tibbs to the fore. Um, and that's just reality. That's just what it is. Uh, I, I think you're brushing up against kind of what his ceiling and issues are as a coach. And that's kind of inevitable unless you land one of these premier coaches in the NBA. Like you're always going to have a churn at that position in time. It just depends on when it's going to happen. Um, so like, I, I think that they'll probably move on from Tibbs at the end of the year. Um, and and I, I will say this, like, I think I thought the reddish trade was a interesting gamble from them, but it was also one that kind of like, again, it, it brought some issues to the floor with Tibbs. Tibbs clearly denied, you know, I think it's kind of absurd that people are like, well, you know, they, they, they didn't communicate it with him, like what they wanted, what their expectations were. They cheated out a, a fucking first for Cam Reddish. Like, I think if you have a brain, you've been in the NBA for a long time, you know what that means. Um, and the idea that Tibbs has not been communicating with Leon Rose is absurd to me. Um, I don't buy that the for idea a second. That, the idea that, you're, that you make a trade without telling the coach first. Is... Yeah, like, I, I don't buy that at all. And then his, like, the logic is like, well, it you know, it cluttered the rotation. And it's like, the team is 28 and 40. I don't think that anybody in the rotation, like, especially these vets, that, like, they none of them are performing at such a level that you're like, I just cannot find minutes for camera action here, man. I just can't do it. Like, that that's, you know, I just don't really get any of that. But um, I, the, the other thing about that trade was, like, I thought it was kind of a, I don't want to say it was, like, a total forward-looking move of, like, long-term youth rebuilding or something. But I do think it's a move that's like, hey, look, we don't think we're in a position right now where we're ready to compete for anything, but this is a talent that we want to take a chance on to develop, and maybe he can help us just, like, up our talent level to the point that in some at some point in the future we are there. And he can help us either in terms of what he can do on the court or as a player that we develop and can flip down the line for – something else um so like i just I, I think like when you see that type of move and how it's kind of how it played out um my guess is they would want a coach who's a little bit more into the development angle of coaching and johnny Bryan, given his kind of background as a coach and what he's done his pedigree um that seems to be up his alley uh and and you know look like we've seen there's been reports now uh you know B stefan bondi of the daily news he was on with Michael Scotto uh, last week on his pod. And he mentioned that, you know, one thing he had heard was World Wide West talking about how they think like if the young guys had played more, they'd have won more and there's different things they could have done. And, um, you know, whatever you think of whether that's true or not, that is an interesting line of logic because it does indicate like they probably are going to move to a coach who's a little bit more experimental, willing to try things and willing to risk, um, you know, 
losing minutes so, in the immediate future with young guys so, over long term stuff. This this is this is some funny verbiage there because like um, the the way we talk about these things, there's such a a, 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 a pro inertia bias that somehow like playing the young guys is seen as a risk, but continuing right. to, continue to trot like Alec Burks out there when he's been just okay this year. If it like, you know, it's had, it's had moments. What's that? Yeah. But, yeah. And, and I'm just talking about like actually being like, Hey Alec, we know you haven't played point guard since you, since you were on your AAU team in 10th grade, but please do it now for us. Yeah, no, I mean, but but somehow that is not. I mean, this is this is sort of the like the cult of veteranosity anyway. That it's just like, well, the vets are solid, so play them, and it's it's less risky. It's like, no, like if they're not right. play, like if if the, if guys aren't playing well, they like I I don't like continuing to roll Julius Randall out there for forty two minutes a night and put the ball in his hands every play. The way he's played this year, that seems pretty risky. But you know, it's but it's not perceived that way, which is it's just, just sort of an odd thing. Um, I think there's a, I mean, broader, broad, more broadly speaking, I think like these, some of these like non on the floor issues, I guess, are part of the reason why in like the modern NBA there are there like certain coaches have shelf lives because like at a certain point, like all right, we're, we're we we get together in a room, we decide one thing. Maybe some person isn't happy with it, then then we all go and do it. Uh, there's some coaches who like they sit in the room and they agree to stuff, and then five minutes into the game, it's all out the window because we got to win tonight. And it's just like, you know, we got we we all got to be pulling on the same rope here. And I think that that like as you say, kind of the reddish move, I think illustrated the degree to which uh, that's maybe not happening. And that's a problem. Yeah. Regardless of you know, sort of regardless of who's right or who's wrong, like on the merits, the fact that there is a disconnect there is um, bad. And you know, the, the, like oh, who, who takes the fall for that is a, is a is a uh, question of of power dynamics. And I think it's pretty. I don't think there's any question that like between Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau, uh, Leon Rose is has more organizational pull. So that yep. ends one way. And, and I think, you know, it's, you know, you said about like, uh, it's, it's not on the, like, whatever the merits are. And so it's interesting because if you go back to last season, um, Lone Weitzman wrote kind of like the first insider piece about the Knicks front office and their process and everything that we've gotten. It's probably still like really the only one, um, with any severe, like real detail about their processes and just kind of stuff behind the scenes. But one of the interesting things he noted was about how, Brock Holler, who is, you know, from what it seems like, he seems like he's got a, a pretty large pull in the front office and kind of shaping the organizational direction. But he, at last year, was kind of encouraging, let's call it a more uh, long-term looking plan of how they should approach the season. And obviously, Tibbs did not want to do that. I think they kind of blended those approaches with not signing any long-term contracts. And then obviously, but at the same time, like, you know, Tibbs got them off to a decent start, and so they backed him. They get up, go on and get Derrick Rose for him. Um, that obviously kind of vaults their season. They go 41-31. So, you know, look, like, that, they played ball with him, right? Like, they might – like, I don't know if the, everybody in the front office felt like the smart move last year was to do what they did, but they adapted Ta- to kind of – Taj Gibson is on the team this year. So no, it's not like you can't say that, like, Tibbs didn't get any of his guys. No, and he got, he got all – like, they, they signed back – 
for their vet. You know, the guys that let walk were Alfred Payton, who can't get a minute in, in Phoenix. He's just not a good player. And and Reggie Bullock, who, like, yeah, he was good. But, like, if that's the one guy you lose out of your other vets, like, do you really think that Tom Thibodeau wasn't heavily on board with them bringing back Nerlens Doyle, bringing back Todd Gibson, bringing back Derek Gross, bringing back Alec Burks? Like, you know, like, I, I, I completely find that absurd. Even Evan Fournier won, like, the guy played, you know, however many seasons for Steve Clifford, who is extremely close to Tom Thibodeau. Um, there's been reporting to suggest that Thibodeau was a fan of the signing. I, I, you know, even if that's not his personal connection, I don't think he was vehemently opposed to it. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, like Julius, I think everybody, both, both the organization and Tibbs and everybody would have wanted him back. So that, and they obviously gave him a contract. So like, I don't, I don't see how they didn't support him in the off season. Um, you can say that they should have, you know, look, that's where a front office maybe needs to reject some of what he wants for what he actually needs. And maybe they didn't do enough of that. That's a fair criticism. But the idea they didn't support him at all is kind of absurd to me. And like, look, the Kemba Walker thing, I think it's safe to say that is the one signing that Tibbs, even if he got on board with it, he was probably out on it within the first three practices. Um, but like, okay, like that's that didn't work out, obviously. But if that's the one thing that he's got such an issue with, um, you know, that's one of six guys they essentially also, handed contracts to. I don't really in, get it. In, in retrospect, by the way, like it, it worked about as bad as it could, and I still can't say, like, can you really say that was a bad gamble? Right. It's it was it, even it from work. the standpoint of 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 hitting like the tenth percentile outcome. Like you look back on that, it's like. <laughs> Like what? What did it? What did it cost them aside from like the chance to trade for Aaron Holiday or whatever to be their point guard? Like what? <laughs> what? Like you know what? Yeah, it's and it's an expiring salary next year. We'll see what they can maybe convert that into. It's just like it is what it is. They they took a shot. It didn't work out. And and whoever's fault that is, whoever's blame that is, is fine. But it just goes back to the idea of well, like. I mean, even even you got to like organization has to be working. Yeah. You know, you don't need to agree on everything, but you do need to work together. And I do think, like, you know, if you want to blame the front office for stuff, some of the stuff this year, that's fine. But, like, you don't just – there's 15 roster spots, okay? Yes, they signed guys in free agency. So those guys are obviously going to get minutes. But, like, they also drafted players. Um, and you can't just be like, well, he can't try this guy because he got drafted in the second round or – Grimes was a 25th pick, so of course he had to wait three months before he actually got in the rotation. Like, those, those are cop-outs to me. And for a coach who's, like, his entire thing is, oh, like, uh, this hard-grinding disciplinarian who everything is a meritocracy, uh, man, it, it sure seems like that meritocracy goes out the window once once he sees how many years you've been in the league and what your age is. Like, so I don't I don't really – just because they signed guys that weren't great, um, well, you know what? They tried to remedy some of that by going out and getting a Cam Reddish. And they did draft players that were on the roster and, and available for selection. Like, they gave him options that he hasn't explored. And if you were winning, that's completely okay. But when you're not winning and you still don't explore those options, that is a criticism of you as a coach, um, which isn't to say that if they had done those things, they would have necessarily been vastly more successful. But it also just shows you the limitations of Tom Thibodeau as a coach where he is not going to deviate and experiment when shit hits the fan. He's going to stick to what he thinks is going, what what he thinks is best, and he's just going to demand that you execute better and execute harder and try harder. And that's it. Like that's 
that's ultimately what it is with Tibbs. Um, so, you know, I don't think that they can really go much further um, than they went with him last year. Maybe you upgrade the talent and you're a second round exit instead of a first round exit, but that lack of willingness to experiment and try things just extends in every direction with him as a coach. And that just limits his ceiling ultimately. So let's, so I think that's a good, that's a good way to pivot into some of the young players. I think that um, if you had the same record and like some of the minute distributions were inverted, uh, do you think that the fan base would, it's been um, judging again from, from my interactions. And it's been a pretty (laughs) angry fan base this year. Um, And like, you know, even against the backdrop of like, you know, we talked about adjusted shooting earlier. Uh, 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 adjusted Nick fan anger is sort of is sort of a, a, a key metric here, but it seems like it's been on the high side even relative to that. If they were, if they were, you know, what, what whatever their record is now, and Obi Toppin was playing twenty five minutes a night, and Deuce McBride was getting a solid fifteen minutes a night, and Jericho Sims was playing every night, and quickly was like closing games every night, and. Do you, do you think that, that, that the, the anger would still be there or would it be more, all right, well, this isn't going great, but we, can, we, 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 see, we see some growth here, so this is good? Yeah, I mean, I think no, no fan base, no matter what anybody says, nobody actually likes rebuilding. It's like the idea of rebuilding is always a lot more fun than like the actual process of it. So I don't think it'd be necessarily happy, but I do think people would be like, a lot more forgiving and you know actually if he if if that was what was happening i think the fan base would be a lot more critical of the front office and less so of tips because they would be like well tips is playing these guys so if they're not winning you know that's that's just what they are right now as young players but i don't want to go down the tips thing again um but yeah like I, i do i do think that would help a lot and i mean personally i do think like playing quickly more um, giving guys like Deuce a shot more, giving Obi more minutes, like I don't see how that could hurt them. Uh, I could see that maybe it doesn't push them as far as some of the plus minus data would suggest, but like I, I just really struggled to the to the to to accept that that would hurt them in any way. Um, and I do think the fan base would be a lot more kind of forgiving and and a little bit more on board and patient. Um, with kind of the direction that the organization would be pushing in. Because right now, what you're looking at is, hey, we're 28 and 40. Why the fuck is Evan Fournier and Alec Brooks playing 35 minutes? You know, like, why are they? And and that's not to say, like, like Evan Fournier, I thought, had a pretty decent game yesterday. He has annoying brain farts, but, like, shot well, whatever. If you wouldn't want to have him on the court because in the context of that one game, you're trying to win it and he's helping you, sure, that's fine. But, like, if if you're trying to win every game, then – then the decision-making is a little weird to me where you're just leaning on somebody like Alec Burks on a night that he just doesn't have anything. Um, and you're not willing to try these young guys. Like, I mean, you, you talked about Deuce. Like, the, the, it is insane. And I, they haven't played a ton of minutes together. But the on-off stuff, like, him and Quickly together, I don't know what it is, but those guys together are, like, blitzing teams. And, you know, they're not going to be, like, a plus 40 or whatever they are right now um, over the long haul. But – the, like that's like a, a backcourt that if you if you're thinking about it and you're like well how would Deuce and quickly and RJ how do those guys look one to three and maybe you play Obi at the four maybe you play Cam at the four maybe you play those guys with Randall at the five like those are the kind of things you want to see and get data on and just get an idea of like what it looks like you know forget the plus minus but just like yeah. what does it look like 
and and not doing that right now is as frustrating. I mean, for me, it's been the most frustrating part of the season because I look at this roster and I'm like, I really think that there's a fun, youthful, rebuilding team to be sold to the fan base here. I think like you could have a lot of hope looking at kind of the pieces that you've built. You know, look, like I, I think it's it's safe to say you're not like the biggest RJ Barrett believer in the entire world, but like there's a good player there. And the Knicks, like they maybe they don't have that alpha franchise cornerstone star on this team right now, but they have like I think they've drafted pretty well in the sense of just having dudes that are like flexible, that can play multiple positions, that play with energy. Um, like there, there's something there, and if you just leaned into that, and that became your identity for the rest of the season, and like that doesn't mean don't play any vets, but it's like hey, can can we cover up some of the defensive uh the lack of defensive energy from guys like julius and evan this year can we cover that up and maybe even like put them in a better context offensively by playing them with some of these young guys and and trying these different lineups like those are the things that i think would get the fan base pretty excited um and and yeah like i i do think that it would be different if that's kind of the way that we were approaching um the season at this point and look they have 14 games which is not like the biggest sample size but it's also not nothing that's a what is that it's like 15 percent of the season um you know like that's that's a pretty decent chunk of of time like it behooves the organization at some point to 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 force the action you know like i, I don't know how things work in the nba in, in terms of dictating minutes and stuff like that but like i would not be unhappy if like, brooks mysteriously developed a back soreness or you know, like, I think it's okay if that happens. Let's just, and, and I would encourage Alec to take uh, whatever time he needs to get his back all right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's certainly one way that it happens. Um, again, th- there, the, though there is, there is an element of kind of both player and coach being willing to play ball on that and like not, you know, not, not being in, in those conversations. It, it would be irresponsible to speculate where that falls. Um, but yeah, Um no, I, I think you, I mean, I think you raise a good point. I think you're, I, I mean, frankly, I think that you're selling how well they've drafted recently short. Like, I think that, that if you look in and, you know, we don't, we don't know what, uh, what exactly what uh, Rokas Yokobitis is. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm going to yes. pretend I did and, and move on. Like, we don't know exactly <laughs> what he is, but he's been promising overseas. Um, Grimes, I mean, Grimes is a, is a, you know, a fourth, fifth starter as a as a three and D guy now, like you're gonna have like, you're gonna have Knicks fans really confused when you have uh, Quentin Grimes above RJ Barrett in your tears list this offseason. I you know well I mean it's this is this is you know you you mentioned Fred Katz earlier and he he and he he came on on the show a month ago and and repeated something he's told me that like the difference is is RJ has to be great to be good great great at what he does to be good uh, uh, Grimes just needs to be good at what he does to be good. And you know, he's been he's been pretty good, um, you know, uh, getting you know quickly late in the first, uh, like, you know, I he's he's been even even when he hasn't been shooting well this year, he's been effective, which is I think a little bit impressive. Like, well, he's he's the one guy they have that pushes the pace that like yes. at, at the guard position that pushes the pace and gets them up the floor. Um, and like this is again, this is all like non statistical stuff, but I think him and 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 deuce when they play together like but especially quickly he plays with like an energy that is infectious and can get units and groups of players really going um and i think that that's the you know that's that's you see that the most when he's 
in that group, like with all the young guys, when they can get out on the open floor, they get stops and they're able to run. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're a lot, they look like, I mean, that second quarter yesterday against Brooklyn to start it with, they just blew, like they literally just evaporated that lead, lead in about two minutes, you know, and they were just shutting them down. Uh, Goran Dragic tried to pivot and, and pump fake Obi like 20 times on one possession, got nowhere. Um, but yeah, yeah, quickly is like, you know, look, is he's got to shoot the ball better. We all know that he's got to be, find a way to be a more efficient scorer. Um, but like me I, personally, I'm like, sometimes good shooters have terrible shooting seasons and that's just the reality of how it is. I would bet on him bouncing back next year, long term as a, as a quality three point shooter. Um, the free throw shooting stuff is very promising. Uh, I do think like some of it is also just adapting to he's having more on ball responsibility right now. Um, and there's no Derek Rose on the floor alongside him. So he's gotten, he's having to kind of blend the not, he's not just getting to attack a, a bent defense or, or attack, like he's got to ha- he has more responsibility in terms of setting other guys up. And I think that's an adjustment for him also. And he also occasionally has some uh, optimistic shot selection, shall we say? Yes. Um, yes. But no, I was, I was saying no, but I was going through and like Deuce McBride is has you know, ever, like basically he's been every time I've seen him starting back in summer league. He's like, this might be something. Like, is he gonna mm-hmm. be? Is he gonna be a starter at the NBA level? I don't know. I don't. Th- I like he's got to improve a ton on the offensive end. But like getting someone who can play at that point in the draft, Jericho Sims. Uh, a, a big with that kind of speed uh, has, is useful. Like he was like they a big part of the reason they almost beat Brooklyn was how fast he could run, jump at Kevin Durant and then recover. Now, yeah, that, Kevin, he's a pretty- Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. So it kind of ended up not totally mattering. And that was maybe a, a, as much the Knicks on offense as it was like the, the, their <laughs> defense. But like, these are these are good players that the that the the front office has identified and and has has given them a foundation to build on. So it's weird because even though like I'm I'm like accused of being like a Knicks hater, like I'm far more optimistic about this team about this team like longer term than it seems like the the the, the people who you know once once Bing Bong wore off and they decided everything sucked. It's just like. All right, it wasn't well, as good as it wasn't as good as it looked right then, but it's much. It's like if you if you take a step back, it's not a. There, there. This is still a considering where the Knicks have been as a franchise for the last fifteen years. This isn't. This is. They've been in far worse spots, even if the well, record has been better. And I think like the the frustration is like, oh my god, there's fifty million in cap space, and they blew it all on these guys that didn't move the needle, oh, and. Yeah, and, and I, I agree. I just think like, no, I, I agree with you. And 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 it's it's also just a. It's like sometimes you are not go, like progress as players all the time is not linear, and that applies across organizations. Like sometimes you have a magical season where you go forty-one and thirty-one. No one's quite sure exactly how you did it. Um, and then the next season you make some, you, you sign guys with the best intentions. It doesn't work out as planned and you have to pivot as an organization and figure out where to go from there. I don't I mean, think I they're would... locked in. They're not in a bad position. I just think they need to make some choices now. And, and I will say this, like, I think if there's one thing to be said about this front office that I think they need to prove is like, they've done a good job of not locking themselves in and staying relatively flexible and, and kind of having the best of both worlds in terms of 
you know, accruing this young talent in the draft um, while also kind of playing in free agency and, and signing. Like, I, I do think at some point, and this uh, this is probably the biggest thing for them this offseason, um, is you need to pick a clearer direction. Um, and I think this year was kind of like foot in both ponds, right? Where it was like, you got one foot in like, let's try to win now with some of these vets and stay flexible. And then the other foot was like, we have all these young guys. And it's like, which way do you want to go? Because to me, it seems like the obvious direction to go in is, you know, move off some of these vets for whatever you can get. Um, and maybe it's not that much. That's okay. But I think they need to empower some of these younger dudes on the team and like, hey, maybe you get lucky in the lottery. And that also adds to your kind of um, that can help shape your direction. But, you know, uh, we'll see what they do. But, yeah, like I, I think that they're not like, – I agree. Like I think the front office has done a pretty decent job of setting them up um, in terms of the ability to function in the trade market now, which I think is an un kind of – it's, I mean, it's difficult better, to see that's that. That's the better avenue of talent acquisition in the NBA right now in the free agency. Yeah. Like right. that's exactly. like having having these like flexible matching salaries and like assets to attach with them is a better way of acquiring talents talent that's properly compensated as opposed to the premium you tend to pay in free agency. So I think that like I think it's like the like turning that turning that cap space into tradable stuff is is I think looking at the landscape of the NBA. I think, I, frankly, I think the Knicks have been ahead of a lot of other teams in terms of figuring out um, that that's how, that's that's the better way to acquire talent in today's NBA. So I, you know, but that's yeah. you know that that's enough of my of, of my boosterism. I actually, so we I, we probably got to wrap up here in a second because yep. it's no problem. Monday. Um, I, uh, some of us have, <laughs> have day jobs as well, but no, I I uh, um, this was far less contentious than I than I uh, I um advertise it as being because you know <laughs> reasonable people actually want you talk instead of speaking at 280 characters it uh it, it it works well but i i really appreciate you coming on and uh i'm sure we'll uh we'll have you back on this summer to yell about the knicks offseason <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure we will yeah thanks a lot for having me yeah thanks a lot for taking the time on a monday all right thanks take care folks. thanks a lot folks i am back uh, a couple more times this week tomorrow with brian schroeder uh to give us some um draft look at the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, got uh, uh, Coach David Thorpe on Wednesday. Who knows what we're going to talk about. Uh, we, our, our conversations tend to start one place and go somewhere else. And then on Thursday, uh, the guru of the salary cap, Larry Kuhn, is going to be on. So a lot of good stuff later in this week. Uh, join in then and see you all tomorrow.